Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. How are you, Kieran? I'm okay, Kevin. I'm, oh. I'm a little bit hoarse, though, because oh. I, uh, I went to see a Foo Fighters tribute act in Lewis last night. And, and Lewis, for people that don't know, it's, it, it's the hipster's hipster town. Uh, you know, the people that are, are, are too cool to even live in Brighton in terms of thinking that the world re- revolves around them, they all go to live in Lewis. Uh, and, and it was very good, but uh, it was it was very interactive as well. So, uh, yeah, I was I was uh, shouting out my lungs. And, and then they were, they were they sort of in between songs. They were singing rude things about the government as well, which I which I found a bit bizarre from a bunch of middle class, slightly elderly people. Well, I don't find that at all uh, bizarre from the middle class elderly people I know, Kieran. But the fact they're doing it in a Foo Fighters tribute band, I, I, you want them to be like the Foo Fighters, not the sweary Foo Fighters, surely. And the important question uh, is, Kieran, how's Finley? I, I live on a day to day paranoid uh, health checking the cat, uh, just in case that furball is a terminal illness, because that's what pets do to you. But I've been just as worried this week about Finley. How is he? He's he's back to being as bouncy and uh, as uh, as giddy as ever. Uh, I've, I've never known an animal quite as delighted that every time somebody comes to to the door, uh, he is convinced that they are his best friend forever and uh, and treats them accordingly. Now he's he's back full of the joys, um, and in his inimitable way, he's he's by me now, and. He manages to find that as soon as, as soon as the sun shines through a window, he has to go and lie on that piece of the carpet. And <laughs> d- despite the fact that he's, he's a dog with big black markings and it's in the middle of the summer, he just loves the heat. Well, that's because dogs aren't as clever as cats, you see, Kieran. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to break this to you, Kieran. You may remember a year or so ago, you had a bit of a, a coldy, fluey thing. And I, I asked the Baroness how you were, and she said exactly the same thing. He's back to his old, bouncy, giddy self. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably why you and the dog get on so well. <laughs> um, our first question, Kieran, it's Questions Day, and our first question comes from uh, uh, Kieran. Who would have thought? It comes from Kieran Martinez. Um, and Kieran Martinez says, when BT Sports and Amazon Prime televise parallel games, there seems to be more flexibility to watch your preferred option, which now feels an expectation with the way football is consumed by younger audiences. Do you feel that the Sky Sports setup in particular is a little antiquated? And can you foresee all broadcasters moving towards higher levels of flexibility? And then we get into the inevitable word streaming. Yes, I think we are. We're always close to a tipping point when it comes to the broadcasting rights and rules. Um, I think we could be meeting another one fairly soon. Um, Ultimately, it's the Premier League that determines which matches are shown. Yeah, as, as, I'm sure Sky would like to show every single match, for, for example. But the, the Premier League, when they started, I think it was 40 matches a season that were being shown live. We're now up to 200 out of 380. But there was a report uh, from Matt Hughes in the mail, uh, actually two or three days ago, um, which indicated that the Premier League is now going to make all Sunday games available for broadcast. Because oh. what what we've seen is that because of the 
uh, creation of the Europa League and the Conference League taking place on Thursday. because, And, and that's due to UEFA wanting their flagship competition um, in, in the shape of the Champions League to have no distractions. That's why Premier yeah. League matches cannot take place and, and you, cannot have Bund- you cannot have Bundesliga or League uh, uh, matches taking place on the days in which Champions League matches take place. So it's, it's, it's to give it you know, the, the, the full focus. Um, we've, we've reached the situation now where you quite regularly have you know, three or four matches taking place on a Sunday where you've got Sky have got their matches at two and at 4.30. And then you go, oh, well, you know, West Ham are playing today. Yeah. Why, why aren't they on the telly? They've got quite good opposition or, or Arsenal, wherever it's going to be. Or as for next season, of course, Brighton have Albion. Um, but... <sighs> What what we um, what we, we are likely to see, I, I think, from twenty twenty four, and th- this is both good and there's always a bad, mm. um, is that it looks as if the Premier League are open to offers for all of those Sunday matches. So it could be very lucrative for those clubs who are in the Europa League um, to have their matches uh, available for live broadcast, but to try to organise it in such a way that it also uh, is good news for the broadcasters. Sky have got no objection to having you know, two or three matches taking place in parallel. Um, but it's also, to a certain extent, you're cannibalising your audience. You, you can't watch two matches at once or you know, with a split screen, perhaps you will. And perhaps, perhaps all this will be another opportunity for Sky to launch another product um, where, where you can have two matches taking place on the same screen. But I think that would be, even for me, that would be a bit OTT. Um, but it looks as if that if that is going to be the play, case um then there's going to be a midday match on a sunday a 2 p.m match on a sunday a 4 30 p.m match on a oh, sunday right. and a 7 p.m match on a sunday you can imagine if you know if, if palace are away at newcastle or burnley um at 7 p.m on a sunday or vice versa you know for those 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 fans yeah the match doesn't finish till the uh, match doesn't finish till nine you're not going to get home till you know, you know it's stupid o'clock and that's assuming that there's going to be some trains running um, uh, in terms of the schedule. So, so that's that's one of the issues um, that I think we will see more matches now. Whether they will take place, uh, Kieran, in parallel, um, I'm not so certain because that's uh, you know the, the, the broadcasters want to have the maximum number of eyes for the maximum number of hours. Uh, so that so we'll have to wait and see. Certainly, as far as the EFL is concerned, you know the EFL is going to be broadcasting a thousand matches a mm. season. So there's going to be a lot of parallel there um, with regards to that particular audience. So, so we so we will see it. And, and Sky are Sky have realised that they want to be seen as the home of football. So I think the this is going to be part of the bidding process that's going to take place in 2024 for three seasons. It looks as if the package which is available to Amazon, where where they get 20 matches, and and of course they do all theirs parallel, Mm. effectively they get two slots of football. And and that suits it for them really well because they're trying to sell Amazon Prime and sell their other Amazon products. It looks as if that package is going to disappear. So if they want to genuinely get involved with football, they're going to have to buy a bigger package. Apple are really keen on football now. They've got the MLS rights um, in the States. They've got the uh, amazing success of Ted Lasso. And I, and I know I know you've got issues with Ted Lasso, but mm. from a from an audience point of view, it, it's 
proven to be very successful um, in in terms of uh, the number of downloads, but also increasing the interest in football. And um, we're seeing some developments coming through from Sky. And and what one of the things they want to do is that they've realised that that football football is a shared experience. And I think one of the things they're going to try to introduce, and, and again, this is likely to involve a, a further fee, I suspect, is is the equivalent of Gogglebox. Um, if, if you think about it, it let, let's say that uh, let, let's say that Palace are playing uh, an away match. You know, one of the things you'd like to do is to watch it with your mates. Perhaps if you're not going to the match yourself, um, it's the opportunity to to watch it yeah. and to have your four or five mates in the corner of your television. So effectively, you've got a camera in the television, which is, and then you can have that conversation. Presently, we're doing it on WhatsApp and so on. Um, and you can effectively sort of replicate what Gogglebox, which again, is, has been a very, very successful product um, on, on a domestic basis. So th- th- expect to see a lot of innovation coming from the broadcasters. Um, and I, it, it ain't going to be for free. Yeah, let, let, we'll put it like that. Uh, a couple of interesting things there. That that goggle box thing that that's been tried. I mean, it was uh, two comedians called John Richardson and Matt Ford who did a watch along thing. Um, it didn't work particularly well because it turns out that most people would rather watch it with their own mates hmm. than John Richardson and Matt Ford. Um, but as you say, innovation is the key. We we have a friend in the broadcasting industry, Kieran, uh, mm-hmm. a mole, a grass whatever you want to refer to him as, which is why Snitch. we won't, Snitch, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is why we won't name him. But I'd be interested to get his, his view on this because it strikes me that if Sky were showing four games a day, parallel or not, then I think two or three of them won't have as many cameras as the main game, whichever they nominate as the main game, because there are, there are only so many camera people and sound operatives and pundits to go around. So... There might be some work for Ethan Okoku out of it, but it's that's an interesting one. And also, you mentioned Kieran, um, or I mentioned you poo pooed it. My conspiracy theory about Brighton and the fixture computer, which <laughs> seems to have only given Brighton home games against Luton all season, um, and now now you're telling me that UEFA and and the Premier League are joining in here now. Because right. suddenly Brighton get to play games on a Sunday and suddenly teams are being paid more to play on Sunday. And Brighton's the first one. And you tell me there's no conspiracy theory, Kieran. You tell, well, this, you tell me the whole start- thing's not set up to get Brighton in, into the Champions League and winning the Premier League and the World Cup. It's global, Kieran. Pa- Paranoid Palace, as Kevin Day is <laughs> now going to be known on social media. <laughs> Our next question comes from Mads Thurstadt, uh, Many apologies if I've not pronounced that correctly, Mads. Um, and this is an interesting one, Kieran, um, about a city you spend a lot of your time in, a city you love very well. How much of their own money, says Mads, if any, had FSG actually put into Liverpool? Has the primary source of the money they've contributed to the club been through selling parts of their shares to other investors? Also, how much of this money has been spent on different categories, such as transfers, wages, infrastructure, etc.? Is there a way to compare the individual categories or just the sum of all these categories to other clubs in the Premier League? Right, Mads. Um, It is a tricky one. Uh, FSG effectively acquired Liverpool 
from the disaster which was Hicks and Gillette. And, and Liverpool were, were pretty close to, to to being in a very, very horrible position mm. um, for around about £300 million. Um, now, they sold 10% of FSG. Now, FSG own Liverpool, but they also own some American sports franchise. They sold 10% of their own company to a company called Redbird Capital for around about 500 million. So, you know, they've got their money back, but you've got to acknowledge that Liverpool are only part of the overall portfolio. They did announce uh, less than a year ago that they were open to discussions with regards to the sale of Liverpool. And that's sort of gone under the radar. All of the focus over the course of the last you know, seven or eight months certainly has been in respect of Manchester United. It would now appear that FSG are willing to sell a minority stake direct into Liverpool. Uh, and here, I, from, from I've been told, we're looking at around about 10 to 15% of the club. And they're looking to get somewhere in the region of four to £500 million pounds for that sale. So they bought the whole club for 300 million. They're looking to sell 10 to 15% for more than that, um, which, which I think is indicative of they've run the club from a financial point of view um, in a pretty lean manner and, and a very successful manner as well. In terms of the money that they've put into the club, if you go to the accounts, and I wouldn't recommend this, um, of the parent company, which is called UKSV Holdings Limited, um, what you will find is that uh, FSG have effectively loaned Liverpool £137 million interest-free. Now, we, have, we see many other lenders, many other owners lending money to the clubs and, and getting a kickback on it. And that money has, has very much gone into infrastructure. So if, if I take a look at Liverpool's accounts for the sort of the last 10 to 15 years, the period in which FSG have been in charge, in nearly every year, Liverpool have broken even and they've made some money in the transfer market and they've they've recycled that money. There's been a couple of years where, when they when they lost money, I think in the year that uh, Brendan Rodgers was sacked, um, that they lost money that year. And clearly they lost money during COVID. But they, they aim to break even. So therefore, from their point of view, there's no necessity for the owners to put money into funding the transfer uh, regime. And you know, certainly with the sale of the likes of Suarez, Coutinho, Sterling uh, and co, they've actually generated a lot of money from the, the transfer market. So, so the, the, their net spend, and I know this is something which, which does get some fans upset, their net spend has been modest, uh, I think it's fair to say. So they've, they've not put a huge amount in. Um, I, I think they're, they're the money that they've invested has been very focused, very laser driven, very um, uh, based on doing the sums in advance, which isn't glamorous. But in terms of running a business, um, and that's how they see. You know, if, if anybody thinks that John Henry is a Liverpool fan, they're, they're daft. He's not. You know, it is. It, it is a franchise as far as he's concerned. You've only got to see his behaviour during uh, Project Big Picture and the Super League to realise he's got no interest in football. He has got an interest in being successful businessman. That's a really. Uh, all your answers are interesting, Kieran, and illuminating. Of course, they are. But to an outsider. You, you would assume that FSG have been pumping money into Liverpool left, right and centre. So that's a really interesting response there. Yeah, I, I, I think they are a, a very smart organisation right. um, and, and they employ smart people um, on, on the back of that. But they, 
they are, they are not taking the approach that we've seen um, by Farhad Mashiri uh, in Liverpool, in, in in the city of Liverpool, with right. the way that he acquired Everton Football Club and then went on the lottery winner in a casino approach, which which wasn't particularly great in terms of of signing the right players, and that's why you know it, it comes back to bite you on the bum in terms of financial fair play. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Liverpool. Yeah, I, I know I've often, you know, I've often been asked how would I grade Spurs, and I'd say I would grade Daniel Levy's performance. You know, if, if I was his, if I was his tutor uh, as a business, uh, I, I'd give I'd give Daniel Levy an A or an A plus. Mm. As an operational level, in terms of delivering stuff on on the pitch, you know, we're probably looking at a D. Well, in the case of Liverpool, I'd give Liverpool you know, an A or an A minus, um, and on the pitch. Yeah, they have won the the, the Champions League. Yeah. They have won the Premier League yeah. um, under FSG. Uh, admittedly, not as often as their fans would like. Um, but remember, they were they were within yeah, pretty close to getting a quadruple only just over twelve months ago. Um, uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd give them certainly a, a B plus um, in, in terms of what's happened on the pitch. But other people will have other opinions, of course, yeah. and. That, that, People, people don't listen to this show for opinions. They, they listen to this show for facts. They do, yeah, and half-hearted intros to questions. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, Kieran, but when you, when you said if you, if you want to go into the accounts of the parent company and then you said I wouldn't recommend it, your voice went into a low growl. In the way that I imagine, <laughs> the way that I imagine Finley would do if you approached his wonky chomp. From behind, which sounds ruder than it's meant to do, but it's just that it's just that way you you warn people off because accounts is your thing, right? Nobody, I don't want anybody else looking at the accounts. Just let you know. Our next question, Kieran, and again, I really hope I pronounce this uh, properly. Comes from Ayodeji Facehun, um, and it's an interesting one. Ayodeji says, "How much does the maker of the fantasy Premier League TV show brackets, I believe it's Sky, make from it?" If any, which it's actually broadcast on Sky. It's made by a company called Avalon. So if they are making profit, um, history would tell us that it's because they're not paying writers the amount of money they deserve. Um, but it's an interesting question, Kieran, because uh, you know they they obviously have full access to uh, Premier League statistics. I don't know if they mm. show actual clips, but clearly there's a lot of data being used that you'd imagine they'd have to pay for. Yes, I think this is, is an interesting one. I mean, if we go back to the start of fantasy football, it was it was kicked off by uh, a guy called uh, Andrew uh, Weinstein in 1991. And I, I remember reading an article, I think it was in When Saturday Comes or The Guardian, yeah. uh, and I heard about this, and, and I set one up, um, I think for the first season in the Premier League. I, I remember setting it up in around about 1992 for, for my students, um, and in those days, yeah, this was pre-internet, and people were people find this really bizarre. If you wanted to put through transfers, you had to phone up and physically change the, t- the players in your squad. Um, if uh, if you wanted to find out your results, uh, they would be posted out to you because we didn't have email. So on a Monday or a Tuesday, I would have students coming up to me saying, you know, have, has the post arrived yet? You know, they, they weren't interested in, in what I was teaching. Has the post arrived yet? We want to know how our football, our fantasy football team. Um, and, and I sort of, 
you know, Andrew is uh, he's very very diligent. Uh, he's very, he's very very thorough. Then I think Radio you know, Five Live picked up on it, and then of course you know David Baddiel and Frank Skinner sort of got the, the the name to the show. And I think Andrew Andrew appeared on a couple of those early shows, but I don't think he felt comfortable in front of the camera. I think he you know, he, he prefers to be a background man, and that's why of course Stato sort of the you know, the cult of Stato yeah. arose. Um, at, but it it was it was reasonably successful. Uh, you know, uh, and, and there's an art. It's quite a good article about him in the FT. Uh, and, and he sort of, I think he sort of looks back now with a bit of sorrow because it's not making money anymore. Um, because because and the reason for this, and this is a bit like uh, we, with this recent case, didn't we, with Ed Sheeran when he was accused of stealing somebody else's uh, music? He said, yeah, ultimately, there, there's a limited number. Of, of notes and a limited number in which you can put them into order. Well, when it comes to football, uh, what Andrew quickly found was that he initially sold the rights to the, the Daily Telegraph. But then what happened was The Sun uh, announced it as Dream Team, which yeah. was exactly the same thing. And you've got to award points for, well, you know, for goals, for assists, for appearances. You can take them away for red cards. There's a limited way that you, you can you can do that. And you only got to go and change the points uh, slightly, and then, then you know you're probably not in breach of intellectual property. So he had the intellectual property, which effectively has now been picked up by the Premier League, which which then outsources it to to Avalon and to Sky. Um, I don't think people are making a lot of money from this because the deep dives into data those are sort of uh, dealt with by the likes of Football Manager and Opta and so on. Um, and what we we do in fantasy football, which is you know, goals, assists, appearances, red cards, etc., is is sort of only sort of scraping probably the top 0.01% of data that actually exists as far as football concerned. So it, it is a it, it is it is something to do with your mates. Um it, it, in many respects, you know, it, it's a bit like a diet on New Year's on New Year's Day. You start off at the start of the season full of good intentions, and uh, you know, within three or four matches, if your side's not doing well, um, I, I normally forget who's in my top side, and then I wonder at the end of the season, like, yeah, I'll finish twelfth out of fourteen, and that's because you know, eight of my players have been transferred out of the Premier League. I've got three who are injured, and so on. <laughs> I've I've never done it, Kieran. And do you know, do you, do you know why I've never done it? No, because I'm a grown up. <laughs> well, I'm not. I, I take a when all when all my mates are talking about it around the, the table in the Porsons' arms. I, I adopt a morally superior attitude, and I wait for them to come <laughs> back and talk about football and politics again. <laughs> Our next question, Kieran, comes from Brian Farman. <laughs> and Brian Farman says that, again, this is one of those questions. <laughs> you, you read it and you think, that while I'm adopting a morally superior attitude in the Portons, all my mates are talking about this as well. <laughs> as Brian says, many goalkeepers find it necessary to spit frequently on their gloves. Is this because they're using low-quality gloves to save on, <laughs> to save on money? <laughs> Or is this a business opportunity for manufacturers to produce more sticky palms? Um, <laughs> before, oh, the rest writes itself. It, it? It, it does a little bit. Okay, before, but before you launch into that, I, uh, there are two things, Brian. It, it, it might be superstition. Also, 
it's only just occurred to me, this is how I know I'm not really cut out for this job, Kieran. It, it's only just occurred to me that one of my good mates is the second biggest manufacturer of goalkeeping gloves in the country. So possibly, I've, and I've read this before when the script came through, it should have occurred to me then to, to maybe give him a quick call and, and ask about sticky. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a good question. It's not, Kieran. It's a daft question, but it's actually one of those daft questions that turns into an, an interesting answer, I think, doesn't it? It, this is a proper 45-minute pub discussion, isn't it? <laughs> it's, um, well, well, Brian, I mean, it, it's slightly outside of my wheelhouse here. Uh, I'll, I'll be the first to uh, to admit that. But but I went on to the website, which is called Just Keepers. Yeah. I, I thought this was some sort of marriage advisory <laughs> website. Um, but, but I was wrong. <laughs> um it, it's it just focuses on goalkeeper gloves, uh, um, and and it was it's, it's, it was fascinating, um, and effectively, what what you're looking for is is somebody to come through with some form of uh, science that's going to turn you into the equivalent of a gecko, and um, that's what they're all trying to do. All of these different manufacturers, so. Um, the number of manufacturers is huge. The number of varieties you've got you've got strapless gloves, you've got uh, flared gloves. You've now got, and I think this is this is really good. You've now got separate gloves for women because other yeah you know, we've we've said before um, that you know, when it comes to football boots, it, it's taken until twenty twenty three for manufacturers to actually start. Realize, actually, yeah, you know, we've got this growing market, and we're expecting women to wear. Small size men's yeah. men's football boots, yeah. It, yeah, and it's 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 given it's, it's bonkers given that yeah the physiology is is different. Um, so uh, it's not a case of uh, them saving money. Yeah, I think we, I think we have to knock that one on the head. Yeah, a price the price of a of a pair of gloves probably in the region of if you want some of the top end ones, you know. 70 to 100 pounds, not cheap. Uh, I, I believe football boots are, are pretty expensive these days as well. Um, but I think you I think you actually knocked it on, yeah, you, you nailed it on the head to start with. It, it's a bit of superstition. Um, yeah, there is, there is this belief that a bit of saliva will, will add to your ability to, to tip one over the bar um, from 30 yards in, in, a, in, in true Hollywood style. But I suspect that makes no difference. Um, but, but there certainly is a lot of ongoing research and science into this because, uh, yeah, as as we saw uh, when uh, Brighton Hove Albion played at Crystal Palace this season, um, a, a goalkeeper, even with the biggest gloves, mm. can make the dumbest of mistakes. Uh, yeah, and God love him for it. Um, uh, <laughs> I've just had the outline for the tattoo done. Um, it, it, it's interesting though, Kieran, because you know, we've, we've talked about kit deals before and, and how much is supplied, but goalkeepers are expected to buy their own. I mean, they can do deals with, with manufacturers, but the goalkeeping gloves, caps, etc., are not included in, you know, if they've got a deal with Umbro, for example, Umbro mm-hmm. won't supply the goalkeeping gloves and caps. The keepers have got to sort that out themselves. I realised as well, talking about your, your goalkeeper, about Halfway through this season, I started channeling my dad, God rest his soul, who had a thing about goalkeeping gloves from the moment Peter Benetti first started wearing little gardening ones. Uh, and I realised some instinct has taken me over because goalkeepers can't, they just don't catch the ball anymore when they save things. It's like, hmm. you remember 
I've got some lovely photographs from the 60s and 70s of taken from behind the goal of keepers leaping sideways and catching the ball. And nowadays, you know, people will go, oh, what a brilliant save, the way he palmed that round the post. Now they should have caught it. He's given away a call, yeah. 20 years ago, they just sort of caught that, got up, bounced it, kicked it off. It's, it's, it's goal, I mean, goalkeeping gloves are getting too big, aren't they? They're getting like hockey gloves. It's ludicrous. Anyway, <laughs> our next question, Kieran, uh, as I, once I've stopped middle-aged chuntering, um, comes from my second favourite name of the day, and it's, it's Pete Sunderland, which I think is a great name. I mean, it means he can never live in Newcastle, but it is a great name. And Pete Sunderland says, my team Livingston, like Kilmarnock and various other clubs in Scotland, have an artificial pitch. Now, part of the reason this was installed was to enable the club to try to use the stadium other than just on match days and doing away with the need for additional training facilities and enabling the club to rent it out to the community. Also, to try and reduce the chance of games being called off due to the weather. Plastic pitches, however, a contentious issue for many, especially in the top flight. My question is, how much do you think Livingston will make in revenue from renting out the pitch? And what are the cost comparisons between the maintenance of an artificial surface versus that of a traditional grass pitch? I mean, this is a, a question we get asked about English football, Kieran, because, of course, outside the EFL, you're allowed plastic pitches, and inside the EFL, you're not. And it's it's a major source of income that some promoted clubs are losing, isn't it? Yes, uh, I think uh, Pete's absolutely right to uh, highlight that there's both revenue and cost implications here. But the overall cost of putting in a, a high quality 3G pitch is probably in the region of half a million pounds. Um, but the chances are you can recover it. Now, I, I've looked at Livingston's accounts this morning and Kilmarnock's, and, and there's nothing explicit with regards to the rental income uh, that's being shown. But Pete's absolutely right. And, and this is one thing that if you if you talk to owners of clubs outside of, certainly outside of the EFL um, in England, they will say, what we want to do is, is to generate money seven days a week. Mm. And this is an opportunity to do so. So you know, there was there was one. I think it's one club near Portsmouth, and they reckon now they get a thousand people a week yeah. turning up to play. And of course, those thousand people, a fair proportion of them, will you know, go for a training session, or go for a you know a glorified five a side, or or, or or some practice, and just just enjoy the experience of being at sort of you know more higher grade facilities. And then they'll go to then they'll go to the club bar, you know, and they'll and you know they'll have. Uh, love a couple of pints or whatever it's going to be or soft drink um and and it's helping to generate money um there's there's oliver ash at uh maidstone united now yeah you know, I, I know oliver quite well and and he says he he reckons that the boost to revenue is in the region of half a million pounds a year wow. for his club which you know clearly is significant and then you've got sort of the the indirect benefit. So um, Sutton United uh, have been promoted to the EFL, but they had a 3G pitch. And what they found was people would come along on you know, a Monday night or a Wednesday night to Sutton and they'd do their training and they'd, yeah, they'd knock about with the mates. And they, and they, and they said, well, the facilities are quite good here. Um, let's give it a try on a Saturday. And, and they saw their attendances double over 
uh, a period of about four to five years. I mean, they were doing reasonably well in non-league as well, yeah. but they they saw their attendances increase because people said, you know, I, I quite like this. It's got a community feel. Um, you know, the facilities are good. Why not come along on a Saturday? Um, you know, it, it's cheaper than going to a Premier League match. Um, you can drink on the terraces. Yeah, there, there's the people that haven't tried uh, yeah, football outside of the, the upper levels. It is a completely different experience, and you know, I'd always encourage, especially on sort of international break weekends and so on. If, you, if your team's not playing, give, give it a try. The, the football, the football is different, but it's still it is still football, um, and it, it is probably more contact than you might see in the Premier League because of the, the, the nature of it. But you, you still, uh, you know, it's still watching people give 100% uh, and it's an enjoyable experience. But it's it's certainly financially beneficial. In terms of the science of the 3G pitch, there's, there's still a huge amount of opposition from players. You know, they feel that, that grass has certain benefits. And, and of course, yeah, yeah, it is a short career and the concern amongst players and I think this this could be a legacy you and I are both old enough to remember Luton and Oldham uh, and and those pitches Um, and and I I once played again uh, at Oldham uh, in in a in a match prior to to a league match taking place and it took an awful lot of getting used to. And, of course, you know, then there's the, the legendary, uh, the burns you would get if you went in for a sliding tackle and so on. But I think the technology is 30 years on yeah. from there. And and it, it's reflected in uh, in what the, the players experience. <clears throat> I know quite a few Palace fans uh, this season who, for reasons of finance and disillusionment with Premier League football, They've got themselves season tickets at Sutton instead, mm-hmm. uh, less uh, more than half the price, uh, you know, and all those reasons you explain. I, I I think in years to come, you'll see more and more people doing that. The, 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 there is another issue with the plastic bit. I think it's Harrogate. Uh, in terms of the ambition of a club trying to get into the football league, laying that plastic pitch is a a, a tricky decision to make because you know you'll have to take it up. And I think Harrogate had to play their first four games in the League Two away from home while the pitch was was changed. Which, if you're yeah. if you're a new team, a new team in League Two, and that could put you at a serious disadvantage, couldn't it? Yes, yeah. There's, there's, there's only, when, when it comes to 3G, as I say, there's only one thing worse than being laid, and that's being unlaid. <laughs> You've been waiting for that, haven't you? <laughs> uh, I shall talk to my my friend, the second biggest glove manufacturer in the country, and ask him about plastic pitches as well as gloves. Uh, um, we'll get him on the show. Let's get him on the show. Uh, I, I would do, but uh, he's a chatty little bunny, basically, uh, uh, and I like to be the focus of attention. I would, I will get. He's, he's offered to come on. Oh, trust me, he's offered to come on. Believe me, he, he says he'll bring some of his goalkeepers as well. Isn't that? I don't want. Goalkeepers, in my experience, are the only people surlier than ground staff. Um, <laughs> apart from Julian Speroni, of course. Um, our next question, Kieran, comes from my favourite name uh, of the week. Uh, I mean, Pete Sunderland's a great name, but imagine going through life called being called Tom Sauvage. I, that's so glamorous, isn't it? Isn't it just? And again, I, I just hope and pray it's not one of those names where he goes, no, actually, mate, it's pronounced Savage. Like, no, <laughs> Tom. So imagine that. What's your first name, sir? Tom. Second name, Sauvage. 
Um, and it's a good question, Kieran. And again, it, it almost sounds like a joke question, but it's a serious one. And it's something that you mentioned before in a different context. And Tom Sovar says, on the basis that owners are covering most club losses each month, what's to stop them either buying multiple season tickets at the start of the year at, say, a million pound each, or buying any unsold match tickets for each home game? Most teams don't sell out their stadiums, but could owners just buy any tickets to take the stadium to a sellout, even if fans don't attend? But and I, I think you mentioned that this is possibly a way around the FFP, theoretically, isn't it, as well? Theoretically, I think historically, that, that could have been the case. Yeah. Um, and, and I give you here the case of Chelsea Football Club. Now, Chelsea Football Club used to have an owner called Roman Abramovich, as we all know. Um, and I think it's it's fair to say he was a pretty generous owner. You know, he he underwrote the losses. It it, it cost him uh, an absolute fortune to run Chelsea uh, during during his period of ownership. But in addition to that, he did have a season ticket and a box, and he paid. Uh, for the privilege of attending matches for the clubs that he owns and subsidised for you know, 17, 18 years, he paid a million pounds a year mm. for his season ticket. Now, you know, you'd think that if, if you're owner of Chelsea, you know, the, the least thing they could give you is you know, a car parking space and, <laughs> and a free programme. But, but no, but no, it was the exact opposite. Um, uh, so so he, he paid that um, until he fell out with the British government. I think he fell out... Uh, with the British government, who who refused to renew his uh, his business visa, um, and then he stopped it. But that certainly is is an opportunity, um, and we then enter the realm of what we refer to as related party transactions. Now, under the latest incarnation of Premier League rules, if you have any related party transactions, um, they have to now go into what they refer to as a fair value panel. So. I think you would have been able to get away with this historically, and that's it was certainly one of the things you know I, I would always have encouraged uh, uh, owners to do if if they wanted to circumvent the rules. You know, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not I'm not doing this uh, to to say I told you so, but when uh, when when financial fair play was was first announced, you know, given given sort of what I do for a living, I just wrote down ten schemes to circumvent the rules, yeah. and, and that was certainly one of them. Um, <clears throat> But the it, it's taken a fair amount of time that the the authorities have started to to take a more aggressive stance with relation to this. There, there are other schemes are still available, of course. Um, you know, given the whack a mole mentality of what we see in football, but it, it has been, it has actually been used, Tom, historically by some owners. Um, so uh, you, you're absolutely right to to put this forward as a suggestion, but it's more difficult to achieve success with it today. We've got four questions to go, Kieran, and the first two are quite short, which is good because it gives me a chance to catch my breath before the third one. Um, <laughs> and the first question is one of those, again, very interesting questions that I like. It seems simple, but it's, it's one of those, well, why haven't I not thought of this before? It comes from Lawrence West. And Lawrence West says, do payouts to sacked managers count for or against FFP? Well, well, Lawrence, um, ultimately, uh, a payout to a manager is is a form of deferred remuneration. It, it's linked to their uh, ability to generate a wage. And given that wages uh, are included in financial fair play, uh, payoffs to managers are also included as an FFP expense. Um, and 
Um, there was certainly, I, I, I can't tell you the club involved, but um, I'm aware of a Premier League club that wanted to sack its manager but couldn't afford to do so. And this this was probably about five, four or five years ago. Um, so it wanted to sack the manager, but it couldn't afford to do so because it would have triggered a payment to the manager, which would have taken them over the financial fair play limit. Oh, wow. Um, and, and the way that they they circumvented this was uh, they found a friend of a friend of the owner who agreed to put in a big sponsorship deal of the club to bring the money in to the club, which allowed them to sack that manager and then recruit the manager they wanted to replace him. And I'll tell you who that manager was at the end of the show. Good Lord. Okay. Well, I'm already wildly speculating internally. Uh, Terence Gauci has our next question. And uh, again, it's one of those questions you think it sounds like a joke, but why not? Uh, Terence Gauci says, what are the chances of West Ham being given the London Stadium for free to stop taxpayers continually covering its huge annual losses? Well, I think this this is a, a very valid point, Terence. Yeah. Um, if we take a look at the accounts, uh, and I have been looking at an awful lot of set of accounts this morning, um, of E20 Stadium Limited, who are effectively the, the landlord um, at the London Stadium, um, that company has been losing in some years up to a million pounds a week. And therefore, um, it's had to to fund those losses, effectively being subsidised by the taxpayer. So there, there's two ways out of this. Either A, E20 Stadium can become more efficient, it can generate more income, and clearly you know, it, it rents out the stadium to West Ham or WH Holding Limited, as, as the West Ham uh, a company is called. Uh, but it only generates around about £3 million a year from West Ham. Um, then, of course, there's uh, there's events taking place at Wembley, you know, you know, there's lots of concerts. Uh, you know, Harry Styles was there recently. Um, we've, we've got other uh, famous people coming there, in- including the Foo Fighters, who, who I tried to. This, this, this is how dedicated I am to my job, Kevin, and, and this is where it comes to bite me in the bum. Um, I, I'm desperate to see the Foo Fighters. Uh, the, the Baroness has never seen them, and she's really keen because she's some seen some documentaries with Dave Grohl. I've seen them quite a few times. Um, we had tickets to see them last year, and then, and then you know, tragically, Taylor Hawkins passed away, mm. and the, the, the tour was cancelled. So the tickets went on sale at 9 o'clock on Friday. But I was in class. My class started at 9 o'clock. Now, I could have turned up 10 minutes late, I, I can't. I can't. I cannot turn up to things late. I'm obsessive about time, um, and therefore I waited for my first coffee break at ten ten thirty uh, with the students, um, and uh, all the tickets are gone. But uh, that's, so you, that's the that's the way the way the life rolls. You, you say you're dedicated to your job, Kieran. As an ex-human resources manager, that's the basic professional level of competence. I would ask is that you don't spend <laughs> the first half hour of your teaching. Uh, day on the phone trying to get tickets to the Foo Fighters, Kieran. <laughs> yes. I mean, you made yourself sound like a living saint then, Kieran. But no, no, yeah, fair comment, fair comment. No, no, I, 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 I take it on the chin. Yeah, I, I could have rolled in 10 minutes later. You could have done, Kieran, but then people would have gone, oh, my God, what's happened to Sir? He's been in a crash because he's never late. <laughs> yes. Although they don't call you Sir. Don't, I, I'm, that's a, 
<laughs> no, no, we're, we're not. We're not back at police her days and, and Derek Guyler. <laughs> Derek Guyler lived three roads down from where I live at the moment. Yeah. Did he? He did, yeah. I was very, that's not the reason I bought the house. But um, uh, the first people who bought uh, this house was built in 1927. We're only the third family to live in it. Um, wow. Is the first family to live in it were the Gandhi family, uh, the, who was the first snooker referee on Pot Black. Um, me. Yeah, there you go. And that's not the reason we bought it either. Um, <laughs> no. The reason we bought it is I didn't get a proper survey. <laughs> that's the reason we bought it. Our next question, Kieran, uh, there's a bit of a lead up to this question. Um, the question comes from Bob Bowers. Um, Bob Bowers says... Yes, there's a lead up, isn't there? <laughs> Bob Bowers says, I work at a major London station with trains serving Norwood Junction and Sellers Parks, so and that'll be London Bridge. Uh, and retrospectively, <laughs> <laughs> retrospectively, if you'd said to me before I read this question, what, what sort of job do you think a man with a name like Bob Bowers does? And I'd go, I'd say he works at a railway station. Uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd also uh, stick my neck out and say he's probably an Aslef steward as well. The name up, Bob Bowers. Let's hope so. But anyway, Bob Bowers uh, works at London Bridge by the look of it. And he says, while doing my day-to-day duties, I snuck a headphone in, because he hasn't got your attitude to work, Kieran, obviously, Bob. (laughs) Uh, I snuck a headphone in and had you two fine gentlemen keeping me company for the day. While I was doing so, a noted Crystal Palace supporting comedian came to me and asked for the next train heading to Norwood. I pointed him in the right direction. And as he was on the way, I said, by the way, Love the pod. I'm listening to it at the moment. The comedian looked a bit bemused and said, what? The price of football, I said. Yeah, that's not me, he said. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out you and Mark Steele sound quite similar through a slightly damaged headphone at low volume. Uh, Obviously, I now try and avoid working Palace home games as much as possible to avoid another embarrassing hiccup. Bob, I I guarantee you will be in a five-minute angry Mark Steele rant as we speak. And then he said, that, well, that would be like, can you, oh, that's, I, couldn't, I could not believe, what? I that's not my pot. Mark, Mark has a very good podcast as well, but he won't have taken kindly to being mistaken for me. God love him. I always like the fact that Mark says he loves going to, to football because he can keep a low profile. And like, well, why are you wearing a purple fedora, Mark? Um, <laughs> I love Mark Steele. What a fantastic comedian he is. Uh, but anyway, so the, the, that's the build-up. And then Bob Bowers has this question. Bob says, anyway, my question for you chaps is in regards to the European Super League. I know another one. I have to ask, and it turns out, again, Kieran, there's a theme. One of those questions that you think it's a bit of a joke question, but it's not when you think about it. If there's going to be a European Super League, why don't they simply play it over the summer? Well, th- that is um, an option um, that is available. But you've then got to say to yourself, um, when a footballer is going to get a break? Because yeah, we've already got the World Cup taking place once every four years, which effectively, you know, it, we've now got an expanded World Cup with 40 teams. Was it 48 teams um, in 2026? We have the Euros taking place uh, once every four years. We are now going to have a 32-club FIFA World Club Cup competition. Um, And all of this involves more and more matches. Um, So I I think there there would be some logistical challenges. Um, I'm I'm not saying it's it's impossible. 
um, especially if, if you only had, say, 12 teams in it. Uh, but it, it's really a case of then you've got to have to deal, and you, you, I think you sort of mentioned this, a grumpy groundsman. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the groundsman at, at Old Trafford or, 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 or the Bernabeu saying, being told, yeah, we've got another, another six matches and uh, you're not going to be able to do anything serious with the turf until uh, till to the second work of July. Yeah, you can imagine the bottom lips mm. with regards to that. But I'm, I'm sure that that's something that they could um, overcome. Uh, I think there would be sort of logistical issues as well, because at present, all contracts expire on the 30th of June. Ah. So you know, what happens uh, you know, in terms of if you're going to have it in June and July, you could have players moving on from club to club. It, you know, we, we have a natural winning. But we cope in January with having a transfer window and matches are taking place. So it's not insurmountable. I, I think it's just a case of you know, we all need a break from football. Now, as much as I, I, I love the game, I think it is, uh, you know, and, and we've and as we found doing this show, there's no break. For, you know, football finance is 365 days a year, and and there's at times I'm sure both of us going, oh yeah, for heaven's sake, you know, not not another story and another you know, 5 a.m. radio interview talking about this, that, or the other in in June or July. Um, so it, it's simply a, a logistical issue. Uh, I, I think the clubs would realise that they would have to deal with players and their representatives and the PFA and so on and their equivalents. Um, footballers are entitled to a break. And I think that's by making it a, a every summer sport, um, you would you would cause some implications there. And, you know, if if, if I was young and earning millions, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd want to spend some of my time enjoying myself and, and not doing the day job. Mm. Uh, I love this time of the season in many ways, Kieran. This, this time of the season is my favourite time of the season because – I think we're seventh alphabetically. Sky have already got the league. This is major. If you go on the Sky's website, they've got the league table up already. I think, oh, Luton, Luton will be happy with that finish at the end of the mm-hmm. season. Wolves less so. Um, our last question, Kieran, um, <laughs> comes from Jeff Matty. Um, I, I'm not saying I suspect any skullduggery on the part of producer guy here, but we'll, we'll, we'll ask the question, Kieran, and see what you think. But Jeff Matty says. I've often wondered what the cost would be to set up a brand new football club. I understand this would need to start at the very bottom, but I'm not sure where the bottom is and what the increasing financial repercussions would be as the club, hopefully, would climb the leagues one by one. Also, I'm not sure how long it would take to get to the National League and I'd love to know at which level where sponsorship comes in and what could should be done to keep the club solvent. Now, Kieran, far be it from me to suggest that you know, with the price of football, podcast having a book coming out that is literally about this that yes because i know for a fact that jeff matty isn't one of producer guys aliases it's not a name i've ever often heard him use before it's not in the list of 14 names that he occasionally <laughs> uses which is why i still suspect he may be on a witness protection scheme but um i, I, I think rather than answering this question now kieran because i know i know for a fact it would take us 312 pages to answer this question. If we, it will indeed. If we were to start now, perhaps you could point, Jeff Matty, in the direction of a, a, a practical guide to this sort of thing, which is also um, uh, quite funny um, to the extent that Gary Lineker himself uh, described it as a very funny book about some very serious football issues. Yes, 
Jeff. Uh, well, first of all, first of all, I suspect this is a genuine question, but apologies, um, Jeff. It, apologies, Jeff. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, th- this does give us an opportunity to uh, bring into the conversation unfit and improper persons, which is due to be published on October the sixteenth, I believe, on twelfth, I think. On the 12th, sorry, on the 12th. Um, written by Kevin Day with contributions from both myself and producer Guy. Um, so it, 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 and yep, it is, it is, it's a great book. Yeah, well, and clearly I'm biased, but the Baroness loves it as well. She's, she's, she, she's had genuine tears rolling down her eyes. And that's, and the last, that normally only happens when I try to sing. Um, <laughs> but uh, to give you a taster, You'd have to start at uh, county level or, or Sunday league level. Your setup costs are going to be around about five thousand pounds, and we've had that confirmed by some from friends of mine, the likes of uh, uh, Scott McCarthy, who runs Hassocks Fat Boys. Um, it's, uh, called because uh, most of the players haven't done much training, and they're from Hassocks. Um, but then, then the costs do start to 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 increase on quite an exponential level, and we we had Peter McCormick from Real Bedford on the show uh, only a couple of weeks ago, yeah. explaining you know, the costs as you go through the different tiers. And we do have a tiered approach in football, and every time you go through a particular threshold, then your obligations as a club in terms of what you provide. Um, do increase and some of those some of those step ups are bigger than others and i'll say no more than that um but jeff set october the 12th in your diary you're doing nothing else that day you've got 312 pages of somebody who has dedicated an awful lot of time to answering just your question Mm. and much much more i i I mean in terms of specifics i mean sponsorship wise you're you're looking at your first season if you can get a local pet shop to if you can if you can then then Somebody may well pay you 500 quid to put their name on your shirt. Uh, Dorking Wanderers and AFC Wimbledon are proof that you could probably get to the National League in in 10 seasons with mm. a fair wind and some money behind you. It's, uh, it's a much more difficult question to answer than it would have been 30 years ago in our heyday as Sunday League footballers because it's very much regulated and controlled. And right from the very beginning, when you set a football team up, you are having to... Um, obey FA regulations and then league regulations, and it's um, it, it's a much more daunting prospect. I think it would have been uh, a while ago, but it's it's absolutely worth it, as we've seen with the success of quite a few clubs. Yes, recently. absolutely. Um, and and as we've said before, I, I think non-league football in this country is about to hit a heyday. I think increasingly people are turning to women's football and to non-league football for men and women to get their football fix at an affordable and enjoyable level. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that'd be very kind of you, and you can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back with our news pod on Monday and in – no, Thursday. This is Monday. Um, And in the meantime (laughs) – and in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thanks to everybody for Patreon. Thanks to everybody that, that interacts from the show. We've had some yeah, really good feedback, especially with the uh, the interview with the the Ipswich CEO that that went down yes. really well. And I think a lot of lot of people from other EFL 
who who support other EFL clubs, you know, took on what he said on, on board, um, you know, with a lot of lot of pause for reflection there. Um, there's there's another way you can support the show, and um, for this one, I'm I'm actually inspired by by the woman I love, the Baroness. Uh, she 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 reads the reviews of the podcast. I don't. Yeah, you know, I, I I'm I'm just one of those people that. Just wander in, wander out. I, I, people can people can say about me whatever they want, and and apparently um, there was uh, yeah. And you, I always I take on board comments when they're passed on being the Baroness. Um, one one of our listeners has complained that um, I spend too much of my time uh, talking about facts, <laughs> uh, and, and and it was you know Kieran Kieran is a fact man. Um, <laughs> And, and then I got accused of having nice meals at Masonic lodges, and I'm thinking, <laughs> with, with, with a name like Kieran Maguire, the chances of me being allowed into a Masonic lodge are pretty remote. But for the for the person that says, you know, there's nothing wrong with conspiracies, and, and I spend far too much time uh, focusing on facts. You can say whatever you want if you give us a review, and, and if you feel that we're only worth two stars review, I absolutely respect your your opinion as well. Um, but you would probably prefer if the show was presented by David Icke and Matthew Letizia. <laughs> and what we'll try to do, because you know Kevin's got contacts in the world of entertainment, we'll even get that show recorded <laughs> in the show in which the moon landings were faked. And I'm sure Lawrence Fox will be able to find that out. So, so that, that's another way of, of interacting with the show, and it helps us in the charts, and it helps us uh, as far as uh, the standings and, and so on is concerned. The, the trouble with that, Ford, and I would listen to it, I would. is, is that cons- <laughs> conspiracy theorists spend, spend as much time telling the other conspiracy theorists that their conspiracy theory is bonkers <laughs> and explaining their own conspiracy theory. A, a, a cousin of mine, who drifted away from the family, uh, <laughs> and we discovered why recently. Somebody sent me the front page of his website, which was just all every single bizarre conspiracy theory you could ever imagine. The right at the bottom, in huge capitals, it said, "Flat Earthers, you're not welcome." It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> just made me laugh a lot. The rest of it made me wince, but that bit made me laugh a lot. Uh, talking of Ed Sheeran, and this is this is going to sound like producer guy asked us to tack this on afterwards, Kieran, but it's not the case. I should have said where, that when we talked about Ed Sheeran being accused uh, of um, using other people's material, he was uh, acquitted of that charge. Absolutely, so, yes, yes. Bye, everybody. Yeah. Bye. Buy some photo